Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters Podcast, episode 111 with your favorite data nerds back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine, and I'm back after skipping an episode. I'm the chief economist here at CAR, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, the ever-knowledgeable Oscar Way. Oscar, hello. Hey, everyone. Hey, Jordan. Good to have you back. You know, hopefully you had a very good vacation, and you're all charged up and ready to talk about the housing market and as well as the economy. I wanted to be, but then <laughs> when I was on vacation, war breaks out in the Middle East, interest rates start surging again, and so there's lots to to talk about, but uh, I'm still optimistic. I still remain optimistic, even at these relatively high rates, but I think it's worth our while to kind of break down what's going on with inflation, what's been happening on the interest rate front, because a lot has changed over the last eight weeks or so. We could talk about how that's played out in California's housing market, too, because we just put out fresh data for September. We'll talk about all the Fed's, you know, hint dropping that they're doing in the media and things like that. And then talk about some macro stuff, primarily on the on the outlook for new supply, because on the one hand, we have, you know, fairly decent numbers when it comes to housing starts. But then at the same time, builders seem to be getting more pessimistic. So we'll go through it all here, but I think we should probably start with rates because that is top of mind for everyone. <laughs> We're, uh, this is you know being recorded on October 20th, and yesterday, interest rates, on at least on Mortgage News Daily, went up to 8.03 you know, as a daily average, even though that Freddie Mac number is still um, a little bit lagging behind there, but we've seen really a, a pretty significant surge just over the last six weeks. Yeah, it's it's it has risen by about a hundred basis point. Even though, of course, we have been seeing some fluctuation in uh, the last couple of weeks or so. You mentioned about you know the war broke out. Uh, I think initially, you know, after the ten days ago after the war broke out, you know, we saw a little bit of a dip because of people being concerned about okay, well, you know, maybe uh, you know when we have uh, such event uh, that happens, usually uh, there is a scale back in global economic growth, and I believe it probably did a little bit, but. The then it kind of sparked back up primarily, well, partly, I shouldn't say primarily, partly because people were concerned maybe about, you know, oil prices, you know, right. whether oil prices will continue to rise. Uh, but in the last, you know, six or seven days or you know, or so, we have been seeing rates climbing pretty significant, pretty sharply. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, um, even if we're not looking at, you know, the mortgage news daily number, which climbed above 8%, even just the Freddie Mac's number, uh, it continued to climb for like six or seven weeks. Uh, and it's really approaching that 8% benchmark. Yeah, 7.6% was the most we, uh, recent read from the Freddie Mac stuff. And initially, I think you're right, we were. Um, benefiting a little bit from that kind of safe haven effect, right? When the rest of the world falls apart, U.S. treasuries become more attractive. That means more demand for two and 10-year bonds and lower you know, yields because the price, obviously, of those instruments goes up. But that was pretty short-lived, and, and it looks like the treasury market in particular 
continues to surge. I haven't looked at the two year today, but it was getting really close or actually I think maybe even over 5% with the 10 year kind of, uh, you know, quickly approaching that level as well. In some ways, I'm more surprised that it's taken this long for the 10 year to get up there. I mean, if you look back over the course of the second half of last year and the beginning of this year when the Fed was really tightening pretty consistently, the 10-year was essentially pretty flat. I think the bond market just had some unrealistic expectations about how quickly rates would come down, how quickly inflation would be stamped out, and we're hoping that you know rates would eventually come down, prices would go up, and their bond portfolios would be worth a lot more money on the secondary market, and that kind of kept that appetite for 10-year flowing and, and keeping those 10-year notes, but I think that kind of higher for lower or for longer, excuse me, mantra coming out of the last FOMC meeting has finally started to sink in for the treasury market. And they're realizing that these rates aren't going to go away overnight. And you're starting to see those those two and 10 years, um, frankly, get back to, to probably where they should have been all along on the basis of a pretty clear broadcast from the Fed that they were going to be at or above 5% for a Fed funds rate. Um, and, and I think ultimately, although that's not good news for, excuse me, for, for mortgage rates, and we've seen that as we've surged up to 8%, what's interesting is that it actually made the yield curve a little bit less inverted recently because the 10 years actually been hit even harder. So it's not really you know, the less inverted yield curve isn't because rates have come down. But, you know, on, on the other hand, I think, you know, at least the bond market's coming to grips with with reality and and maybe there's slightly lower um, expectation of, of recession, especially in the wake of kind of ongoing consumer spending. But what's going on with inflation? Because I think that's ultimately what's going to be the thing that holds us back from getting those rate cuts that we're all hoping for. And just personally, my house is on the market and has now been on for like 50 days. And, and the surge in rates has absolutely decimated the, the, you know, foot traffic in, in my property. And so really just waiting for, for the inflation to get back to normal so that we can get some of those cuts or is there any good news on that front? Well, I mean, of course, you know, we know that inflation actually has come down, um, you know, since last year, but you're right. I think inflation continued to come down uh, or continue to slow, but not at a very dramatic uh, pace. You know, we we saw that consumer prices. Uh, there's a headline number in our source of the core inflation, which takes away the uh, energy prices and food prices. If you look at that, um, if you look at that headline inflation. It actually, you know, uh, has gone down to about 3.7%, which, you know, of course, still a, a bit of way to get to that 3% or 2.5%. But at the same time, you know, as I mentioned earlier, oil prices continue to fluctuate. Now, well, for, for Californians, it seems to be a little bit better, you know, uh, in the last couple of weeks because of us changing to the winter ingredient. That helps a little bit. Uh, but the flare up in oil, crude oil prices recently because of the war uh, pro definitely uh, could will, will contribute to maybe some upward pressure on inflation in the next couple of months or so. Um, in, in general, though, I think we probably will continue to see core uh, inflation, uh, core price index continue to come down. But the question, of course, is how fast is it going to come down? It probably won't be too fast. There are a couple of things to consider. You know, the all these strikes that we have had, 
yeah. in the last six months. And also, of course, uh, in California specifically, uh, some wages could increase because of fast food industries uh, and all these other stuff. So it does look like that core inflation is coming down, but it may not be coming down uh, very fast, especially with, you know, the latest September numbers that shows that, you know, things are actually going to continue to slow, but not fast enough. Yeah, definitely. And we've made good progress. And actually, right now, the the kind of core inflation is remaining stubbornly high relative to the headline number. I mean, the, the core number was still above 4%. You can really see yeah. that, that those kind of dramatic declines that we've seen in the headline number of supply chain issues fade and, and all of that stuff kind of fades to the background. The core number, which is, I, I would argue, driven in large part by you know housing costs and wages, at this point in time is is a much flatter slope. It's coming down much more slowly. And, and again, I, I think that that last mile on inflation is the hardest to get rid of because it is due to just, you know, higher employer costs that are being passed on still to consumers. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's just going to take a while until we get down to that, that kind of two and a half percent rate. We have our forecast for, you know, high twos for inflation mm -hmm. for next year. I looked at the UCLA forecast that you gave me the other day, and they're expecting inflation to stay above 3% next year. Um, and so again, ongoing progress, but we're not going to see that snap back in, in rates overnight. And, and one of the other things that's really driving this is that just consumers continue to punch above their weight. Right. Right? And, and all of the numbers on spending, despite the fact that credit card debt has risen a lot, and that actually credit card delinquencies have risen a lot. And by the way, savings rates have also fallen down into the low single digits now again, after having risen during the pandemic when we were getting stimulus checks and things like that. But um, retail sales, even after you take out the inflation, were still growing by almost two and a half percent last month. And that means that, you know, the economy just continues to punch above its weight, despite all these headwinds and, and especially in the service sector, but, but pretty much across the board. And, and that kind of keeps the upward pressure on inflation, right? Because it doesn't help to slacken the labor markets, which are still undersupplied. We've still got that labor shortage, although it's smaller than it was um, last year. And, and But yet consumers remain undaunted. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, puzzling to, you know, economists, of course, uh, many economists have been expecting, okay, well, we'll see uh, maybe second half of the year with, uh, you know, maybe slower growth and the economy, and then they move it to, they move their, or adjust their prediction to maybe uh, early next year, and now maybe in the second quarter. And of course, if you look at some economists' uh, predictions, uh, there's no recessions at all. So it's, it's puzzling in the sense that, you know, consumer has been, very very strong in terms of their spending um, behavior. You mentioned about personal saving. Uh, that rate actually has gone down below the pre-pandemic levels, and yet right. they're still spending. Um, I, I, you know, of course, we 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 don't know. We don't factor those. Well, I mean. We personally may not have factored in, but many economists also have factored in. Of course, you know the summers, some of those summer summers event, like you know, Taylor Swift's concert and all right. those other stuff, that might have actually uh, put in you know additional consumer spending. Now I'm a little concerned, you know, if consumers continue to spend now, whether that will actually lead to uh, whether that means they are pulling forward, and maybe in uh, upcoming quarters things are going to be a little slower. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just the money's got to come from somewhere ultimately. And that's what has me thinking that consumer spending will stop to catch its breath. Otherwise it's going to become unsustainable because even with these kind of above average gains and wages and income, it's not enough to explain this increase in spending or this kind of ongoing elevated level of spending. But, you know, that, that is ultimately still what matters for the economy as a whole, right? 70% of GDP is consumer spending, right? 90% of all the growth that we've experienced over the last two years has come from consumers. And in fact, if you look at what other forecasting shops are saying, they're almost kind of uh, universally more optimistic about economic growth this year, right? Like the the forecasts for the, the quarter that we just ended in September are all even more positive than they were right. just a few months ago. Quite quite positive. Like, you know, Atlanta Fed, of course, that's something that they do it on what a daily basis or so. So, of course, that is a little bit more, you know, um, volatile. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, people talk about it. They've mentioned that, you know, the third quarter is going to be about 5%. J.P. Morgan... Yeah, which is huge. I mean, I actually didn't expect it to be even closer to, you know, four, but quite a few, you know, uh, financial institute already adjusted that number to close to four, Goldman Sachs to, you know, 3.7% or so. So, you know, people are changing. And you, you mentioned earlier about the economy seems to be doing better. Um, and it seems like it is. Um, even, you know, some... Um, Estimates or just survey results about CEOs, business leaders, whether they think recessions are going to be, we're going to see a recession. Now has dropped from like 80% believe that we're going to see a recession to maybe about 60%-ish or so. So there, the people are feeling positive in a way that's good. But at the same time, of course, that means um, the Federal Reserve may actually not cut rates <laughs> as much. Yeah, I mean, we're in this weird period, right, where the stronger the economy is, then the longer rates are going to stay high like this. And so it's kind of this double edged sword, because on the one hand, we want the economy growing and people employed and wages going up to help combat these affordability issues. But then it just prevents the Fed from really being able to take their foot off the gas. That being said, though, I think it was two days ago that that Jay Powell did a, an interview and talked about how they probably won't raise rates, which is like the mm-hmm. closest he's come to making a definitive pre-meeting statement about what they would do. He's always like, we're going to look and see what happens with the data and take a data-driven approach, but um, fairly fairly confident that we wouldn't see a rate hike in November and maybe not even in in December. So I think that's that's the good news. The bad news uh-huh. is he didn't take them off the table completely and said if the economy continues to punch above its weight that that's not off the table yet. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there is still taking that data approach, data yes. approach in terms of deciding. So <clears throat> remember what you said, I think, at the uh, reimagine. You show a graph, you know, with the Federal uh, Federal Reserve dot plot. Obviously, yeah. they changed their mind six months ago. From six months ago, uh, they were going to cut 100 basis point uh, six months ago in 2024. But now, of course, they uh, decided, to, well, it may be, we may not necessarily cut that much. Yeah, maybe more like 50 basis point-ish or so. Right. So I who knows that... what the next dot plot's going to look like? <laughs> and they do kind of change their opinion 
you know, at, at the drop of a hat in some ways. And so it's possible coming out of the December meeting that we could see. I think the December is when we get the next dot. I think so. Yes. Do it every time. But, you know, it's it's possible that they could have a lower target range or even a higher target range, depending on what happens over the next couple of months. And again, I think that that inflation number is going to be key in all of the things that feed into that. So they're going to be looking at gas. They're going to be looking at the jobs numbers, um, which, by the way, I think, you know, I went back and looked at the census based estimates, the quarterly census of employment, right. rate, which is a little bit more accurate, but a lot more lag than these kind of monthly survey based numbers that we get on job growth. And and it suggests that, you know, job growth probably isn't as strong as as what that headline number would have us believe. And typically the the kind of monthly, they call it the current employment statistics. That's where we get the housing or excuse me, the household unemployment rate, the, the firm level non-farm employment numbers, but those are based on estimates and they typically aren't great at predicting inflection points. And if you go and look at the actual uh, numbers they use to benchmark those numbers, those survey-based estimates once a year, they're coming in much more weak. So there's a possibility that when we get into February and March, when they redo the benchmarking process, that we're going to see mm -hmm. the labor market wasn't quite as strong this year as what's being reported on a monthly basis. But unfortunately, it it you know the the numbers that the Fed looks at are the ones that we get monthly, right? And so they think job growth is is that strong, and which is why they've been so aggressive in keeping rates high and things like that. And ultimately, um, that is what's really affecting. The housing market because we right. put new data for september and here in california we've had now i think three or four months in a row where the sales have been kind of trending back down after having that little rebound that we enjoyed in the first half of this year november of last year we fell to the kind of you know what i i hope is the bottom for the market of about two hundred thirty-five thousand units but it looks like we're going to threaten to to get back down to those numbers again. And I still feel confident in what I forecast that we're not going to see numbers that are much, much lower than what we saw back then, but we could stay at these fairly depressed levels through the end uh, of the year, right? Because the numbers weren't weren't great, at least when it comes to transactions last month. Yeah, sales actually dropped to uh, around 240,000, 241,000 level for single family home sales. And as you said, you know, it, it has gone down three months in a row, three or four months in a row uh, on sales. And it has a lot to do, of course, with interest rates. And keep in mind, interest rates, you know, for sales that closed in September means they're basing it off of, you know, somewhere around August number. And no, you, we all know that, you know, interest rates have gone up since then. So we definitely could see a little bit more slowdown uh, in um, uh, October, possibly in November as well. Um, whether it's going to actually touch or maybe get below that threshold or that 237 benchmark that we uh, recorded in November, it's really hard to say. But uh, it has been trending down. And it looks like, you know, the upper segments, the uh, higher price segment seems to be doing a little bit better. But that's not um, a surprise because, you know, affordable segments, you have tighter supply for one thing. But at the same time, you know, the interest rate increase, the cost of borrowing increasing um, by a couple hundred dollars ish or so definitely would have an impact on, you know, uh, lower uh, household, lower income households. Right. So it's not a surprise. Uh, the question, of course, is uh, whether this will continue to go on for the next couple months or so. 
Um, yeah, the, and I, I think the scary part is that that the September number, as you mentioned, doesn't fully bake in this recent right. surge in rates because these are folks that went into escrow, you know, back in in August at least, and, and in order to be able to close in September. And when you look at what's gone into escrow recently, it's almost down by double digits, and so if we're down ten percent or so, or I think the pending sales were down 9% in September. Um, so, you know, if we're down 10% from where we were last October, then that's getting us pretty close to that 235,000 unit pace. And so we need to really keep those um, belts tight. But again, it's, it's interesting because even with this kind of slowdown in transactions and this hit to home buyer demand, prices are actually still gone up. I think it was the third month in a row where we had a year to year price gain. Now they were down from where they were in August. How much uh -huh. of that do you think is seasonal versus interest rates? Well, I think, you know, seasonal is usually, you know, if you look at the long run average from August to September, we're usually down about, you know, 1.8%. So we're right on target because, you know, the September number actually came down by about 1.9% from August, you know, uh, uh, earlier this year. So we're right on target as far as the seasonality is concerned. Um, but you know, the interest rate part probably you know plays a bit of a role. But at the same time, I think what happened might be your interest rate probably um, may have caused your prices to go down slightly than the seasonal trend. But at the same time, that mix of sales change that I, told, I mentioned might have actually pushed it back up. So it cancels each other out a little bit. Um, but on the year-over-year -year basis, it's still growing, as you mentioned. Um, so that suggests to me that there is enough demand. We don't have enough supply, and that enough demand is going to continue to uh, keep prices uh, stabilized a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I did an interview um, with the Sacramento Bee yesterday or, uh -huh. or the day before, and and they asked me about supply and, and just the impact of interest rates. And it's it's... A kind of unique period in time because as much as interest rates have impacted buyer demand and we've seen those numbers fall off whether you're looking at mortgage applications or pending sales numbers it's actually impacted supply even more as mm -hmm. as big step back as buyers have taken sellers have taken an even bigger step back and and unsold inventory is actually down and that i think also contributes to this upward pressure is that even though there's fewer buyers there's a lot fewer uh, you know, homes available for sale. And actually, if you look at unsold inventory, um, it's it's down and active listings are still down from where they were last year. And last year wasn't a, a particularly good year I know. Uh, for for inventory. And, and so I think that, again, it's just this kind of lock-in effect, right? If you were hesitant to get rid of your 3% mortgage, you know, a few months ago and rates were at six and a half or you know approaching seven then you're really reluctant to do so now that rates are at at eight percent and and i think you know when you look at the new listings in particular that kind of replenishment number it it's not it's not kind of painting an optimistic picture for supply which i think on the one hand is going to be the thing that prevents a major price decline but it's also going to be why sales remain at these fairly low levels not just because there's you know less buyer demand but because you can't transact a home that isn't actually um for sale yeah i mean if you look at that new active listings just to kind of elaborate a little bit if you look at that new active listings it may seem like okay well it's slowing down it's dropped from last year but it's dropping less 
Uh, but you got to take a look at how low it was last year. Uh, it was already at a very low level last year. So uh, if you look at that new active uh, listing level, uh, has gone down to, you know, some of the record low level. And uh, I, I, I really can't uh, figure out how to actually improve that new active listings when we actually have interest rates still at, you know, 8%-ish or so. So it's going to be tough. Hopefully, you know, we can see interest rates start coming down a little bit um before the end of the year and i'm still hoping that that is the case uh, i do believe that you know we probably have a chance uh to have interest rate coming down uh closer to 750 uh maybe even lower but of course uh i'm just speculating yeah i don't but know i wish i did uh, we would all be already <laughs> uh retired what about new construction though because that is another source of supply and i know at least in my town, you know, there's a few new units that are coming on. And one of the things I've noticed in my own kind of saga of trying to sell my homes that even though there is buyers that are still out there, even at rates that are this high, um, they tend to be pretty picky. And I think that's why, you know, new construction tends to be, I guess, attractive for potential buyers, especially those first time buyers, because, you know, they don't want to come into an existing home get an 8% mortgage and then still have to dump a bunch of money into that house to get it um, looking good and move in ready and all of that stuff. Is there any relief in sight from new construction? Well, you know, you, you, you know, new home sales have been rising, you know, we've seen, you know, what we have uh, uh, read from many of the reports. And the reason why new home sales have increased is because of some of the incentives that developers, builders uh, offer to, buyers and uh, developers are actually because of the improve uh, the increase in new home sales in the past few months or so developers builders actually have been pretty optimistic um, they continue to build you know if you look at the latest September housing starts number it increased uh, on a month-to-month -month basis by seven percent now it's still down compared to last year but we're seeing single family homes increasing um, uh, as much as eight 8.6% from last year. Um, mm. That's bucked the trend of you know, the overall, you know, uh, housing starts, but it's still increasing. And part of it is, as I mentioned, the uh, sellers or, or the uh, developers, they're providing incentives like uh, interest rate buy down, maybe, or maybe just the reductions in the price uh, in this environment. And so that, you know, provide, that suggests that, you know, builders are still interested in building more homes. Um, the improvement in permits also suggests that things are actually going well for builders. They still have confidence, but maybe not as confident as before because of interest rate rising to 8%, but they're still building quite a bit. Yeah. And and it's kind of this, this conflict, right? Because on the one hand, housing vacancy, right? Rental vacancy, mm -hmm. you own vacancy, you're still very low. There's been you know several years of underbuilding going on. Um, prices are still rising, but at the same time, buyer demand is, you know, clearly taking a big step back. And, and so, you know, you don't want to be on the hook and have all this kind of unsold inventory sitting on your book right. and have to start um, lowering prices. I suspect that's probably kind of the more dominant factor underlying this slight retrenchment in, in builder confidence recently is just that, yes, on the one hand, there's like a lot of need for housing out there as us in California know 
all too well. But at the same time, there's this whole cyclical component going on with the interest rates and this pullback in demand and a lot of consumers, even those that are probably still qualified in a kind of wait and see uh, mode. Not to mention the fact that a lot of these builders are, you know, they're not using their own money, they're borrowing. <laughs> right. So the cost to build these things for them is also increasing dramatically. Yeah, you know, if 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 a if the interest rate increased from seven percent to eight percent for many of the buyers, it's also doing the same thing for builders, and they're borrowing a lot more money than uh, uh, just a regular home buyer. So definitely, they uh, they pull back. They they could possibly pull back as well, especially since on their on the sell side, you know, the borrowing side, you know, it's costing them money, but at the same same time, they have to make sure that they have. Uh, incentive to entice people in. So they're actually probably hitting their profit margin a little bit uh, if they have to actually lower their price or uh, do the interest rate buy uh, buy in as well. Yeah. And and you do see more concessions from the builders. And actually, we see that on the, the existing and resale side as well, right? But 32% um, cut prices yeah. in, in the most recent data. And I think if you look at our weekly resale market stuff that we put out, I think it's about 35% of actives have done a price reduction as well. So kind of right in that mm, same, right. you know, area or or kind of level. And, and they're also doing about a 6% cut. Whereas I think on the resale side, our numbers showed about a 5% was the typical reduction for something that had actually been reduced and and we're starting to see other incentives right whether it's rate buy downs i know i started offering on the mls advertising a rate buy down for my house to try and help you know ease some of the pain without having to do another price reduction and it looks mm -hmm. like the builders are also doing all kinds of incentives whether it's upgrades or rate buy downs and um, it seems to be a little bit more urgency to get those those homes off their books before things deteriorate as rates stay high yeah, I mean, there are always a lot of uncertainties, whether it be interest rates, whether it be, you know, the economy. And obviously, um, we're all trying to guess you know, what the effects will do in the next meeting or so, even though I think we have a bit more certainty on the fact that they may not necessarily rate, raise rate, but who knows? Yeah, anything could happen. And anything could happen to consumer spending, for example. You know, they yeah. could be, be spending a lot. Um, so there are a lot of uncertainties out there. Uh, obviously, we will continue to keep track of those uh, and report back. But, uh, you know, this is just uh, something that we have to keep an eye on uh, on yeah. a regular basis. Yeah. And I think on net, the moral of the story is to not take your foot off the gas as a real estate professional. Most of the stuff that we went through today um, wasn't super inspiring, right? Sales are are down, rates are up, new building isn't isn't stepping up enough to kind of cancel out the the challenges that we're having. Supply remains very tight. But I think again, this is kind of the environment where we really earn our keep as real estate professionals because the consumers, I think, really need us. Buyers are very hyper focused on how high rates are and not really considering the long term and wealth accumulation and the fact that, you know, waiting has only meant higher you know, cost to you and a bigger hit to your pocketbook because rates are higher, prices are higher. We don't expect prices to come down meaningfully. Our forecast is for prices to actually increase more next year, even as rates remain relatively high. And so I think, again, you know, they need us to navigate. They need us to help 
negotiate mm-hmm. also increasingly on the sell side you know as a seller it's it's become clear to me that even though inventory is very tight and and I think sellers kind of are still in the driver's seat at least compared to buyers right the inventory is very very tight and constrained and all of that stuff but it's not just a name your price kind of environment that buyer demand has taken a step back that the market is less competitive than it was two months ago and the surge in rates really has uh you know driven the market to kind of shift once again i still think we have you know too many buyers not enough supply but but the market's not as red hot you might have to make some concessions and and i think even compared to where we were three four months ago things were still flying off the shelves at a very uh, quick pace. And so they need that trusted advisor to help them understand the data, understand mm-hmm. how these changes have have really had real-time impacts in the market. And that's why it's incumbent on you all to, to step up your game and make sure that you're well-versed in what's going on out there on the buy side, on the sell side, in the macro economy. And that's why we're so grateful that you tuned in to our, our latest podcast so that we can help hopefully help you have some of those talking points down that that are kind of top of mind for consumers. Because again, there's an opportunity in the sense that they need advice and expertise more than ever. But again, it means that we've really got to bring the A game when it comes to being those trusted advisors. And so to the extent that there are things that we haven't covered here that you're curious about or being asked about, uh, please reach out. We have lots of good resources on our website related to the market in your local you know, backyard and, and lots of good legal advice and guidance. And, and you know, so hopefully we can help you to navigate these challenging times. And, and ultimately our forecast still calls for things to get better next year. So we don't need to panic, but we also need to make sure, I think that we're not taking it for granted. And I think those of us that really embrace that that role and, and build that expertise and be there for our clients are, are going to be the ones that thrive in the next 12 to 18 months. And of course, as new developments happen, which seems like is, is coming down the pike fast and furious every single day, we will make sure to keep you updated. Um, did we miss anything critical that can't wait till next time, Oscar? I think, you know, you, you said it very well. I think we, we covered pretty much everything. Um, and of course, we always have um, other uh, tools that you can rely on in between in between podcasts we release stuff uh very regularly so definitely check back on our websites or even you know reach out to us as jordan mentioned you have you can you guys can figure out our email address i'm sure um and just reach out and send us an email or simply give us a call uh, yeah, and definitely. we'll see what we can do and on that note of new data i did want to just throw out one statistic that just came out Two days ago, which is my favorite stat in the entire world, the Fed just released its 2022 survey of consumer finance, and it just validates the the benefits of home ownership yet again. If you look at the net worth in America, it went up to, I think, almost 200,000 for the typical household. But if you look at that breakdown between owners and renters, once again, renters are essentially no better off than they have been over the last 40 years. And the net worth for homeowners went up to almost $400,000. That is what homeownership is all about. It's not about timing the market, buying low, selling high. It's about getting your foot on the property ladder. Find a house that you like, that you can afford the payment on today. If rates go down in the future, great. But at least in the meantime, 
you're you know paying down that principal, building up that home equity as prices are forecast to rise. And, and the reality is that you're going to be paying somebody's mortgage over the next 12 months. The question is whether it's going to be yours or your landlord's. And I think through that lens, it's always a great time to buy a home if you can afford it. And so again, um, you know, these are things that are important to, to make sure that consumers understand. And so as new data comes out, we'll certainly keep you updated. But until then, we hope you have a successful week putting more buyers into properties and we will see you on the next episode. All right. See you then.